1: And yet, this beautiful Tuesday, we are not pre-recorded. I am Hugh Hallman, joined by my son Lewis. Seth is taking a much-needed rest uh, and enjoying some sun, and we are here to fill in, although not as ably as Seth, uh, for the next three hours. Uh, Lewis and I hope to bring you some uh, entertaining information that will uh, enlighten. Uh, especially given the kinds of things we do. As many of you who listen to the show on Tuesdays know, in the five o'clock hour, Lewis and I are going to be handling COVID and all things COVID, uh, whether we have to make it up or not. In fact, Lewis has done again some groundbreaking research in what the CDC and the federal government continues to fail properly to report, uh, causing uh, panic, angst, and dram across the country. So Lewis will bring you some insights into what's going on in that regard. Uh, In the... uh, 4 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about things domestic, specifically how on earth we've gotten to a position where we can't quite talk to one another. And the press seems to enjoy uh, making sure that all of us hate one another, uh, keeping us pinned down into uh, two very uh, opposite uh, set of uh, corrals so that we can uh, be more easily controlled. But in this hour, we're going to start uh, with things international. Many of you, I think, already know that I spend a lot of time in Kazakhstan, and Kazakhstan, of course, is the ninth largest country on the planet geographically, but it only has 18 million people or so. It's immediately south of Russia. It was conquered by the russian slash Soviets in the 20s and turned into part of the Soviet Union, but happily declared its independence on December 16th, 1991, and... Uh, For our purposes here in these United States, it became one of the most important allies this country had uh, without much notice. In uh, December of 1991, independence was declared, and the U.S. was the very first international body to recognize Kazakhstan's independence. George Herbert Walker Bush was the then president, and he sent his uh, league of uh, executives to Kazakhstan to break bread with Nursultan Nazarbayev, the former Uh, Chairman of the uh, Communist Party who had gotten himself elected during Soviet times as the first president of Kazakhstan and ultimately after independence was reelected by the population by an overwhelming vote. Was it a perfect election? No. But I'm hard pressed to uh, complain that uh, nascent democracies coming out of the Soviet space uh, immediately south of the uh, Russian uh, environment and immediately east of China uh, are – in a particularly good neighborhood to create a democracy, let alone a uh, a commercial democracy uh, formed on the model of the U.S. Uh, with that said, uh, we happen to have in uh, our studio somebody who uh, agreed to join us in that conversation. He is the former commanding general of the Arizona National Guard. He commanded that uh, uh, the National Guard for Arizona for eight years, and the reason he's here is because he is one of the true experts. On that part of the world and American defense strategy and international affairs, and that is Mick Maguire, General Maguire. Say hello to your audience. Good, Good afternoon, everybody.
2: Uh, Hugh, thanks for having me, and Louis, it's great to be with you today.
1: So, Lou, you get to say hello for a moment. Oh. Why hello? There we go. <laughs> so, uh, sorry for ba- Louis is going to make up for for my long windedness this hour by taking over most of the second hour. But we have uh, General McGuire here because he actually was on the ground in Kazakhstan. General, why don't you give people a sense of your background and your knowledge of international affairs and defense?
2: Right. Well, thanks. Uh, As you mentioned, I served nearly 38 years in uniform and just short of eight years was the commanding general of the Guard as my final assignment. Started in the active Air Force and uh, in 2001 after 14 years in active duty. It's funny you mentioned 91. Uh, I got home March 1st of 91 after the Gulf War. I remember that happening when the wall came down. And uh, in Arizona, something a lot of Arizona citizens may or may not know is in 93, in December of 93, on the two-year anniversary of that, Arizona was named to be the state partner for Kazakhstan. There were 22 countries born after the wall uh, came down for the Soviet Union. And Kazakhstan was partnered with the great state of Arizona through the National Guard, with intent to basically do civilian-to-military, military-to-military relationships. And in Arizona, we had a unique responsibility in the job I just departed. I was both the state emergency manager and the commanding general. So we worked things like initial setup of police and fire, 911 programs, working on defense partnerships, professionalization of the military, Moving off of an all conscript force. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of growing pains that go with uh, having a group of leaders that have never been trained to critically think or challenge the assumptions and having a bunch of American servicemen and women train them and talk to them about what they're doing.
1: Well, your opening comment about uh, having to train police forces, imagine starting a country. You start from scratch. The Soviet Union had collapsed and Kazakhstan did not have its own leadership infrastructure. It had all come from the top out of Moscow, top down. And so what are the kinds of things that the National Guard with your leadership ultimately got involved in uh, with Kazakhstan as as an ally?
2: Well, I came to the Guard in 2001. So at that point, the program had been going for about eight years and I just retired seven, eight months ago. Uh, So in that 20-year time span in the Guard, that evolved, the relationship evolved a lot. Uh, In the early 2000s, a lot of it was sieve to mill. We did simple things like talk to them about setting up a national 911 hotline so you could call if you needed emergency assistance or first responders. Uh, By the time I retired, we had gotten to the point where, uh, and I'm sure the numbers have moved a bit, but I think up to 35% of the enlisted force in the Kazakh military now is a professional force that has not been conscripted, that has volunteered to serve beyond their initial enlistment. So we're helping them grow a professional non-commissioned officer corps, work with their officer corps, built a war college, uh, help them understand how we uh, maintain, train, and equip great forces. Other things we were doing very, very late that I know we'll get into here was they were very concerned about um, immigration. And they were very happy to be partnered with Arizona because uh, if you're not keeping up with current events in Arizona, we have a significant uh, crisis at the border. They were very worried about they have three big borders. Their southern border with Uzbekistan, which is adjoining Afghanistan and the other uh, Central Asian states, 800 miles on the uh, east to China and well over 1,500 miles of border with Russia in the north, and the west side is the Caspian Sea. So um, they uh, they were very interested in looking at their southern border, and so we were having people help them where we were doing on the civ to mill side and the civ-to-civ side Send specialists. So we're we're going
1: to take out the acronyms there. That's the civilian, civilian to, to military mil- and military to military. Yep, yep. So the Arizona National Guard, imagine this, ladies and gentlemen, was run by a man who actually knows something about securing a border. And he was not only helping uh, our current state of Arizona in that charge work on our southern border, although nobody wants to talk about that. The reality is the federal U.S. federal government using the National Guard organizations was working with Kazakhstan and other countries to learn how to secure their borders against terrorists and immigration problems that form up. For example, what's going on in Afghanistan?
2: Well, you know, uh, the, the Afghanistan thing has always been a problem for them, setting aside the problems with the tribal fighting that we've seen with the Taliban with um, movement of drugs and illicit activity and human trafficking. This is
1: out of Afghanistan into the surrounding stands, including Kazakhstan. Right,
2: and and Almaty and... uh, Does this
1: sound familiar, folks? Let's see, drug trafficking, human trafficking across an international border from a place like Afghanistan that grows poppies and creates all kinds of great illicit drugs and sex trade. It is the second most mountainous region in the world relative to the one beneath our border. There you go.
2: Yep, and so it is very similar. So we did things like train them how to... Uh, screen and use uh, advanced technology to find fissile material, to find drugs, to find gunpowder, to find these kind of things. So we did a lot of that kind of training working with Homeland Security in the U.S. Embassy. But for the eight years that I was in the position, they would routinely ask me at every year we would have a conference you. They would say, please, please, please don't abandon Afghanistan and put us in a position where it becomes completely lawless because we will have a surge at our southern border. I told them routinely that we needed to define our own objectives as a military fighting man who was deploying soldiers at the same time into that theater, that we did not fight a 20-year war. We fought 20 consecutive one-year wars, and that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there.
1: So, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back after this short break, I'm going to ask General McGuire to Give us some insights into to, uh, what's going on between Russia and Ukraine and uh, the aftermath of what's going on in Afghanistan, which the Western press is not reporting. To report on such a tragedy would mean that they would have to raise questions about the uh, current administration's ability to handle international affairs, which is... Uh, uh, verboten to steal from the Germans. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined by Lewis Hallman, who'll get a word in edgewise here, edgewise here shortly. Here on KKNT 960, The Patriot, The Seth Liebsen Show. will be right back. That's a little bit of a slow start for a song to reenter when we were just talking about things international, Afghanistan, and the mess that I would argue has been made by President Biden and his team. But uh, I'm not really the expert. I've spent a lot of time in foreign lands. But the true expert is uh, General Mick McGuire, who was the commanding general for the Arizona National Guard for eight years, 38 years in military uniform. And uh, he is with us to talk about things international. General, we left off with Afghanistan. Perhaps you could uh, quickly give us your sense of how that happened, uh, what the lessons are, and maybe how that's uh, impacted Ukraine.
2: Yeah, I think uh, how it happened is completely failed leadership by the Biden administration in terms of the complete collapse. And I, I just, I want everybody to remember. He went on TV and said, "We won't have uh, a repeat of Saigon." Literally eleven days before we had a repeat of Saigon.
1: The other thing, helicopters, people right, were right. hanging on to jet tires. Right, but right, the same yeah. problem.
2: And 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 General Milley went on. Uh, a, a, to say in front of a Senate hearing that it was a logistical success. Now, we mentioned my background. I'm an F-16 pilot by trade, and you're hanging off aircraft analogy. I can't imagine a young pilot landing uh, back in Kuwait saying, how did the mission go? Uh, you know, He says, sir, it was a great mission. We only had five people fall to their death off the side of the aircraft. I don't know how you define that as a logistical success. But Broadly, the question is about how we're in the situation we're in right now with the world. And and I kind of see all that's happening with Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, Taiwan and the Ukraine linked to a myriad of decisions, all that go back to Biden and walking away from peace through strength. First, you have to be believable and credible as a leader. And I think every American needs to remember Biden was sworn in on the 20th of January. Within two weeks, ten thousand pipefitters were laid off for the Keystone Pipeline, and we began a policy of shutting down drilling and being an energy exporter. That increased, not decreased, the leverage that Mr. Putin has. So increased. we went from
1: an energy producer to
2: an em- energy importer. Correct. We were we we immediately allowed um, uh, Russia to increase their stature because. We all understand capital markets. If there's no competition in the market and you're Germany, you're Poland, you're Hungary, you're any of those countries in the former Soviet Union, you're dependent on the pipeline running through out of Kazakhstan, through the Crimea, into Ukraine and the rest of Eastern Europe. Second thing that occurred was this calamitous departure from Afghanistan. So now the world leaders, Xi Jinping and um uh Putin see this happening and immediately you begin to see activity in the South China Sea and you see activity right now in Ukraine. And what I keep telling people is uh, this situation could have been avoided, but we're here now. And so what to do? And uh, what I think clearly about is We need to understand what it is that they want. I don't really believe that Putin wants a shooting war in Ukraine. I believe the Ukrainians, just like the Kazakh partners we had, worked very, very hard to have a professional military, and we trained them. But we also need to understand that he does not want expansion of NATO into that region, and we're going to have to diplomatically deal with that. Your thoughts on how we do that? Well, I think the way we have to do it is to, one, immediately begin exporting oil again. It sounds like, how is that going to affect the world market? But you have to be compete on the market and give outlets so that in the negotiation, we have some ability to assure our allies there, because putting blood and treasure into Ukraine is something that I, if given the opportunity to ever debate that, am going to say, until you can to define our interests and our kinetic requirements to be there, it's going to be a heavy lift. And we spent, like we said, 20 years in Afghanistan on an AUMF. And as a military leader, the hardest thing for me to do was face the families of the young men and women that served. I I was shot at myself in the first Gulf War and deployed multiple times after that. But that was nowhere near as challenging as being the commanding general of an 18-year-old young man who's getting deployed to Afghanistan and looking at his mother, his wife, and saying he's going to be fine. Now, thank the Lord, during that eight years, we didn't lose anybody. But what I was always most did Didn't lose any Arizonans. We didn't lose any Arizonans. None of the people that I had under my command that we deployed into theater during that eight-year period of time lost their lives. We had guys injured, significant injuries, unfortunately, but thankfully, none of them died. But the truth is, many did, and we saw 13 die after the collapse in Afghanistan, And uh, we really have to do a better job as leaders defining our interests, understanding how we use diplomatic, monetary, uh, and information space uh, warfare to prevent military interventionism.
1: But your point about oil, I think folks may not quite understand that Russia is an extraordinarily large producer of oil, and it is dependent... On that flow of cash that comes from its sales of oil, to keep the machine that Vladimir Putin is in charge of going, to provide all of the resources that the oligarchs want to get, and also to provide the population with enough to keep them happy enough not to revolt, uh, and so that the the drop in oil pricing uh, that occurred during the Trump era, and the fact that the U.S. was a, a an a, additive to the oil market and instead of merely purchasing, we were selling. And as a result, we were meeting all of our oil needs. I think Lewis made this point a couple of years ago about the extent to which the U.S. had become independent of the rest of the world. Trevor Burrus, The shale revolution. Yeah. And, and, and in very short order, we've reversed that. And now we're again dependent on the world order being retained and as a result have become a victim instead of the abil- having the ability to control things you've been contemplating other uh, roles for yourself. How do you see uh, affecting this debate and this outcome? Yeah. You
2: know, as I've been out and about um, as a candidate, I can tell you that the thing I find most for those who are
1: ill-informed, general McGuire is a candidate for the U S Senate seat
2: right here in Arizona.
1: And I will tell you
2: across the board, we can have all kinds of debates about interventionist strategy, but here is the number one thing that all agree on. We will not cede our sovereignty and control of the blood and treasure of this nation to either NATO or the United Nations, that this is a American interest. We will define American resources. We will define the problem set. We will define the objectives, and as I said, the military is the greatest point of service organization in the federal government, but it, even it in all its greatness, cannot define its objectives. And like I said before the break, if they don't know where they're going, any road will take them there. It is the policymakers, the lawmakers, and the chief executives that have to define the objective, the policy, and how we get in and out, and then take a vote and debate on that. And this is what I'm most concerned about, and I'm really glad. All over the state of Arizona, there's veterans running for office everywhere. And so I look forward to having an opportunity to meet them.
1: Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to General McGuire. General, if you can stick around, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, John Dombrowski here after the break for a little bit. Uh, But I'd like to come back uh, with you about how how we're going to affect the outcome. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined with Lewis Hallman here on the Seth Liebson Show on KKNT 960 The Patriot. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman. I'm joined by Lewis Hallman here on this wonderful sunny day in Arizona. We have the great thrill of uh, being joined by John Dombrowski, who uh, himself has a show on these these very airwaves here on KKNT nine sixty. John, you with us? Uh, I'm here. How you doing, Hugh? Doing very very well. It's great to hear your voice. You are thought of as the financial genius, the man who can solve not only uh, individuals' financial planning problems, but frankly, in my view, help us better understand how these United States have gotten so screwed up under the wrong kinds of leadership. So what are you seeing out there? (laughs) How's that?
3: <laughs> Wait, let me let me uh, polish my crystal ball here. That's right.
1: That, that's of course you've got a crystal ball because everybody knows that uh, anybody who is actually doing this for a living uh, doesn't have one. You'd yes. be on a beach someplace.
3: Exactly. So all
1: you can do, John, is do the best you can. What are you seeing out there?
3: Yeah. Well, I'm. What we're going through right now, of course, a little bit of volatility at the moment, and we're seeing, of course, the concern over interest rates. Inflation is one of the big issues that we're. We're trying to battle at this point, and we're talking uh, corporate earnings. We're seeing a number of companies right now reporting their fourth quarter earnings from 2021, and the interesting uh, side of that is we're seeing some very good reports on many of these companies. However, they're now forecasting for 2022, and we're starting to see a little bit of a a, a pullback on some of the uh, forecasting at some of these companies. A bit of, of a companies. hedge, you think? I'm sorry,
1: a bit of a hedge.
3: Yeah, I I think that that would be a a fairly reasonable statement to make. And I think companies certainly don't want to get ahead of their skis. And uh, this is something that they're trying to manage right now, making sure that they're staying in line with what uh, their expectations are. And it's oftentimes uh, funny how these companies always seem to just barely beat out, many of them just barely beat out their forecasts, unless you look at some of these larger tech companies, such as uh, Alphabet, Google, Uh, Apple and some of these other big companies, Amazon, which have uh, blown away their uh, estimates that they had given us for Q4, and they're still forecasting very good numbers into the future.
1: The uh, inflation numbers, why don't you report to our listeners sort of where that's been over the last few months and uh, what the market is uh, anticipating given what's happening?
3: So that's interesting because we are looking, you know, each week there's economic news that comes out, and one of the big things that we like to look at are the Consumer Price Index. Uh, We also want to look at the uh, manufacturer's index as well because we want to see what's the cost of goods, uh, not only to us as individuals, uh, but what is the cost of goods for manufacturers because ultimately that's going to drive what it's going to uh, flow down to us as the consumer, what we're going to pay for products and in many cases services going up. As we know, inflation is here and part of that pressure is also coming from – the cost of uh, employment right so we've got employees out there that uh, if you're looking for anyone right now uh, to work for your company uh, you're probably having a bit of a challenge and you're most likely going to have to pay more for that uh, employee moving forward so it's adding a uh, cost to individual companies as well as us at uh, every level of our uh, you know consumer um, aspect of our life.
1: Do you see this different from sort of that trend that occurred in the 50s as well, where we had uh, em- employment rates tightening and as a result, uh, wages boosted? It seems qualitatively different to me from what occurred in the 50s with the return of soldiers and and the country gearing up, uh, sort of wages that had been stored up during the war. And all of that was unleashed. Here we've got what seems to me to be a huge percentage of our population, the great resignation some mm. people are referring to right. as, as they're resigning from working at all, and then $6 trillion plus of uh, printed money that the U.S. government shoved into the economy sloshing around. How do right. you see those different or the same?
3: Well, I believe there is a difference. And number one, we have uh, the, the black swan event that occurred with the... Uh, pandemic, right? So that was certainly something that no one forecasted. And when we shut down this country for a period of time, that certainly added to the woes that we're faced with right now. So there's a couple of different factors, I think. uh, And you're just seeing such a, as you mentioned, this mass resignation of individuals. And I think there was a report last week of unemployment numbers where there were, I think, 3 million jobs uh, in excess of the number of individuals that are on unemployment right now, which is kind of interesting, right? You've got all these people on unemployment, and we have more jobs uh, than the actual unemployment, uh, unemployed, unemployed people in this country, which doesn't really make sense. You'd think we can get them to work, but there's something out there that is keeping people from uh, getting back into the workforce even though uh, they're capable of working and they're certainly not going to be able to retire at this point.
1: Certainly. And Lewis and I will pick that up in the second hour, in fact, our analysis of what's going on domestically. Yep. But, John, you've got to uh, make sure our listeners know uh, a little bit about you and your company. So, yes,
3: yes. Securities and Advisory Services are with the Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Check out our website at grandcanyonplanning.com. Thank you guys so much. John, thank you very much. John Dombrowski,
1: we're grateful to have you. We'll be back after the break. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman on The Seth Liebson Show. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. We are sad that our friend Seth Liebson has uh, decided he needed a couple of days off to enjoy the sun. I am joined by my son Lewis, who has yet to get m- many words in Edgewise, but I promise you won't be uh, saddened at the second and third hour because he'll be driving most of the bus. We are, however, and I'm thrilled by this, joined by General uh, Mick McGuire. He was the commanding general of the Arizona National Guard for eight years, and I'm a fan of his because he was the man in charge of the relationship. Between a country that I adore Kazakhstan, these are people who are desperately trying to model the United States are in a 30 year old country surrounded on the east by China, by the north, by Russia, by the South, by Uzbekistan, and other crazy stands and uh, yes, they have a, a bit of a, a moat to their west uh, with the Caspian Sea, but that leaves them with the Russians and other crazy folks uh, farther to the west. Uh, And so from that lesson, General McGuire, with uh, 38 years of service in the military and, again, eight years running our Arizona National Guard, developed extraordinary experience that is particularly applicable to somebody uh, voicing uh, the interests of the state of Arizona. General, we've got an international environment that is uh, crazy but uh, could use some of your experience. But as important – your insights into how the military currently is playing its role and the uh, the way in which U.S. Treasury, uh, the treasurer of the U.S. is being used or uh, abused.
2: Yeah. Well, let's first talk about how the military is playing its role. Hugh, I want every Arizonan to know this. On January 20th at midnight, the first executive order issued by the Biden administration was to zero out U.S. Treasury dollars for 1,030 National Guardsmen. So if you meet anybody... Anywhere, regardless of their political proclivities that says that the radical left is not for open borders, remind them that not one dime has been spent since midnight, January 20th, on supporting our great Border Patrol law enforcement. It's 2021. Uh,
1: 2021. 2021. So the president's first act was to zero out the Arizona National Guard's funding from the federal government to secure our southern border.
2: That's right. And Texas. And we weren't the only state, but it was 1,030 manpower authorizations in Arizona. And that position has only gotten worse. And we talked about how we had taken our expertise and what we know with technology and capabilities to help in in, uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, Those uh, lessons are relevant today. And what I keep telling people is, when they ask about, you know, the U.S. Senate, what can you do? As the 51st vote, we can use reconciliation in the budget process to get the money to build and complete the wall. And that's not just a talking point. You actually have to get it done using the engineers from the Guard and the rest immediately. Uh, you have to surveil it. You've got to buy the helicopters, the overhead surveillance, clear the roads and the rest, and then you've got to enforce it. And that's an attainable objective. Somebody that says they're going to balance the budget – Uh, We were talking about this on the break, and you you mentioned this. Hamilton and Jefferson, two guys that hated each other in the political context, agreed about only two things. The largest, the greatest threat to the fledgling republic, a large standing army and oppressive taxation. I would argue, Hugh, we have arrived. And so every Arizona needs to think about this large standing army consuming 72 cents on the dollar of the resources you spend, send to them every year in personnel costs is a reflection of the fact that we've never post-mobilized. And the growth of the bureaucratic state- mobilized since World War II. Since World War II, since 1947. And the growth of the bureaucratic state has meant that when you send a dollar in, 23 cents, never leave a 50-nautical mile radius of D.C. That is oppressive taxation. How do you fix it? you got to break up all the federal employees, unions. They are union protected against an employer they can't sue. And say to every agency, you're going to have to take a 10% cut across the board year over year for the first three years to cut 30% and deliver that revenue back to the states. And if states want to reduce their income tax, use it at the local level in schools and the rest. But these people that say you're going to do all this by balancing the budget in the first year, that's not real. What's real is you have to go after where the money is going. 2.9 million federal employees are protected by unions. Against an employer, they cannot sue. I think Hamilton and Jefferson would
1: say we're not sure how we got here. So, as a military man with 38 years of experience in the military, you'd be advocating for reining in the uh, in the industrial uh, military-industrial complex that even Dwight D. Eisenhower warned us about.
2: Correct. Defense spending is half of the discretionary budget. But think about this way: you just talked about when Kazakhstan. Uh, Gained their independence. Everybody remembers Clinton won the election in '92, and he made a peace dividend. Just to use the Guard as a metric, 565,000 members of the Guard. Our defense budget that year was 360 billion. This year, there's only 460,000 in the Guard, so we've lost 100,000, and the defense budget is almost a trillion dollars. And I would argue we have less than 50 percent of the capacity we had. And we had three hundred and sixty billion dollar spend. We don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem and how we effectively spend it, not just in the non military agencies, but in the military agencies as well. And the truth is, you got to have somebody on the other side of the dais that can take them on. Because when a four star general sits on the other side of the dais and tells you you've never walked a mile in my shoes, there's very few of us that have been in that fraternity of general officers.
1: You have. I have. And do you have already a sense of the uh, expenditures that are being undertaken by the Department of Defense that uh, are first on the chopping block?
2: Well, I think the challenge for first on the chopping block is defining what our strategy is. And we talked earlier about Taiwan and the rest and this offshore balancing. We do have to expand some capacity with Article One, Section Eight of arming the military. Think about buying ships, and next generation equipment, counter technology for hypersonics. But you can't do that if seventy-two cents on the dollar are going
1: to people before you buy a single countermeasure. The uh, the nuclear triad, as an example, sense of sense of what we need to do there, how we would do it
2: yeah we were I was asked that question this weekend about Hugh Hewitt by Hugh Hewitt, and I said you know things like countering intercontinental ballistic missiles, the hypersonics that the Chinese are doing, and reviving our own infrastructure and missile silos, next generation technology, new rocket motors, and the rest, the three legs of the triad, ICBMs, the intercontinental ballistic missiles, subs and bombers.
1: The, the ICBM fleet has not been uh, modernized since the early 60s. So the bombers and the and the sub-fleet sub have been improved, but we have not done what we needed to do about the missile systems.
2: You bet. And the well, defensive yeah. systems for incoming missile systems. So while
1: the North Koreans are working diligently on their missiles, we have not been doing so. You bet. Uh, not to make it all about military, you do have – an extensive resume having run some very large organizations. How do you think that relates and translates into helping to guide our federal government into some sense of of reduction?
2: Well, I keep saying the biggest uh, failing of D.C. is leadership. We lack great leaders. I'm
1: a proven leader. It's not bad. Lewis, in our next hour, we're going to be talking about domestic policy and how we got here domestically. I'm Hugh Hallman. He is eventually going to voice his opinion as Louis Hallman. We are grateful for having General Mick McGuire on with us, Uh, not because he's running, despite the fact that he's running for U.S. Senate. I wanted uh, Mick here because he is one of the best minds we've got uh, on what's going on in Central Asia, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine, for which I am grateful. Uh, Amateur hour is behind us. We need folks who understand uh, from a professional perspective how to uh, attend to the greatest worries we now have and have faced. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman on The Seth Leibson Show. Thank you, Seth, for letting us sit in on KKNT 960, The Patriot. I don't know. I kind of let that song go on a little okay. while. It get you sort of up and ready to go for the day. I'm Hugh Hallman filling in for Seth Liebson here on The Seth Leibson Show at KKNT 960. We welcome your calls if you'd like to join the conversation at the beginning of the hour. We are going to be discussing domestic policy in the next hour to to, uh, think through how it is we got into a state of affairs where the uh, press likes to keep us stirred up between our warring camps, driving us into uh, two uh, pens to keep us uh, happily uh, ignorant most of the time uh, so that we can more easily take orders from those who would like to run us. I do want to thank uh, Mick McGuire for joining us, General McGuire uh, ran the Arizona National Guard for eight years and is one of uh, our nation's experts on border security and what it takes to secure a border. In fact, that expertise was called on by uh, nations uh, in. The former Soviet Union, as they were trying to secure their borders from incursions, Kazakhstan in particular, which has had a 28-year relationship between the state of Arizona and Kazakhstan, of all things. It's the ninth largest country on the planet with only about 18 million people. But their borders include China to the east and Russia to the north, Uzbekistan to the south. And why would they care about securing their borders? Well, let's see. The Chinese overran them uh, in the uh, Twelve hundreds and past uh, to overtake them. Uh, Genghis Khan uh, uh, conquered the territory uh, from China, really coming out of uh, Mongolia, taking over China and running all the way over to Europe. So that brave kid that we all learned about uh, in grade school and high school um, playing Marco Polo, uh, he actually didn't have to go very far to get to China. He had to step over the eastern border of his country, Italy, and he was in China. Uh, But we didn't learn that part of it. And then, of course, the, the Soviets to the north then invaded Kazakhstan in the 20s as a result of some treaties that Kazakhstan did in the 1700s. Uh, to avoid being overrun by the Chinese. So apparently international security uh, starts with treaties that are then abrogated by the folks who entered them, and that was actually the story with the United States. Uh, In 1991, Kazakhstan became independent and the U.S. entered a treaty that started under George Herbert Walker Bush and was uh, finished by... uh, uh, Bill Clinton, that had Kazakhstan get rid of its nuclear weapons. They were Soviet nuclear weapons that Kazakhstan gave up. It was the first time in in world history that a country gave up nuclear weapons uh, uh, by its own accord, and that helped reduce the risks to the United States and the rest of the world. But it's Mick Maguire who was involved in those kinds of things, and frankly I hope that uh, we'll understand that Amateur hour is over. We need people who understand the big picture, the risks that the world is facing today, uh, and how we're going to address them. We've now got an administration that fumbled the ball in Afghanistan, has bollocks things up so much that uh, Vladimir Putin is brave enough to start threatening Ukraine. All of those kinds of things are real, and they didn't exist two years ago. They only existed once the United States uh, uh, voted for Uh, Mr. Biden, and he was sworn in uh, as our president and then started taking action immediately using his pen to uh, withdraw our independence. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Hugh Hallman. In the next hour, I'll be joined by Lewis Hallman to talk about domestic policy. We look forward to being with you.